Good morning. I uh, had to smile at the pictures of Jim and I uh, that showed up on your screen. That picture of him kind of needling me and bugging me. Did you notice that? That's kind of typical of my childhood. And uh, I remember one particular morning, Jim was bugging me like that. And uh, I'd had enough of it. And back in the day, there was these toys called Tonka Trucks. And I picked up a Tonka truck and I knocked Jim out cold. <laughs> Down he went. And I was five or six, I think, maybe, maybe a little older, but about that age. And down Jim went. And when he came to, and I said, you okay? Jim looked at me and goes, I can't hear. I, I can't hear. I said, you can't hear? What? He said, what did you say? I can't hear. So I, I was, this is before the, the, the days of 911, but I was a little bitty guy, so I pulled the chair up to the phone, and I didn't even know phone numbers, but I just knew people talked on that thing. So I just start dialing numbers, and Jim is screaming, I can't hear. And I'm thinking, I've destroyed my brother's hearing. And, and as you know today, that that was a big practical joke that he played on me. Jim's hearing has been restored, which I'm glad. And it's amazing that after for all these years, uh, it's not just our love for each other, but our love for Christ. Because, frankly, it was only the Lord that got us through our childhood, I think. <laughs> but I want to thank Jim. I want to thank the church for allowing me to come. Uh, you're, you're actually kind of fortunate because the first sermon was kind of the trial run. Uh, the PowerPoint people have quit on me. They said, look, we're not going to try and follow your sermon anymore. We're just going to put that scripture up there and you're on your own. And I said, okay. All right. And uh, we, we had a great time in the first service. And one of the things that we did then, I want to do today too, is to thank you for your uh, support of our soldiers, our, our service members, our Air Force, Marines, our Coast Guardsmen, our Navy. Uh, was, and you may not know, but we have Navy folks in harm's way all the time. And so, as well as the Army. And so, uh, for your support of our, our service members through these years, I want to say thank you. Uh, also, if you've served our nation in one capacity or the other uh, in, in the military, would you please stand so we can recognize you? Would you stand, please? Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Today's a special day for a lot of reasons. Um, Later on today, you pyromaniacs, get your yearly fix where you can launch stuff and watch them blow up and, you know, and and do all these great things and, uh, you know, cheat death one more time. You know, the the people always do fireworks. So, uh, and I hope you enjoy that time as we celebrate the birth of our nation. It's an awesome time. And and God has indeed set apart this nation. I could go into a big history lesson, but many of you know that, that that our nation began with folks seeking religious liberties. And so I am so, we are so fortunate to be Americans, so fortunate to live in this land. And if you've ever traveled abroad, uh, you you can see that, that there are many, 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 many people who do not live as fortunate lives as we do. And I don't believe that, that we live these fortunate lives simply for our enjoyment. But I believe God has a plan for us, a purpose for this nation, a purpose for you as believers. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I, I want to thank you who've served. I want to thank you for your support for our service members through the course of this war on terrorism. And it is indeed a war on terrorism. And I, I just want to thank you for that. Uh, Jim was a little nervous because of all the stories that I could tell about him. But uh, I, 
I want to promise you, Jim, I'm not going to tell any, any, maybe one or two more stories about you, but I, I don't think so. But I am so thankful for my brother, Jim, and I know you are too. He's indeed a fine man in Christ who has sacrificed, he and Grace, many different times and ways in the course of their lives. And uh, now that we're getting to the point of being elder statesmen in the faith, uh, it's, it's just a neat thing to see how, how God has led in your life, Jim and Grace. And I love you both. And thank you. And, and I hope to speak well of you enough to have a ride to the airport later today. <laughs> so so uh, um, as you probably have heard, as Jim introduced, introduced me, uh, I've deployed a few times within the military. And the first deployment was during the Iran, uh, well, the Persian Gulf War. And uh, I was a captain at the time. And I was assigned to what's called an armored cavalry squadron. And that's sort of like when you watch the old Western movies, the cavalry, you know, the cavalry that always came in to save the day kind of thing. And these were mobile soldiers on horses that could travel around the battlefield and, and quickly engage the enemy. And so we have the same version of that, and they're called armored cavalry. And these were basically a small group of elite tanks and something called a Bradley fighting vehicle that could maneuver very quickly around the battle space. And it was a, composed of about 24 tanks or so. And, and that was my unit and the support elements therein. And our job was to find the enemy and hold on to him. And then hold on to him long enough to where uh, the rest of the force could find him. So it was pretty much like one of me versus all of you. And we were looking for the uh, Tawakana Republican Guard. It was a unit of about 300 tanks, 15,000 people, and we had roughly 1,300 soldiers. And our job was to find them and then hold on to them and then hopefully live long enough to where the, our army could come down to where we were and engage the enemy. I was involved in a uh, meeting with our, our senior staff the night before the land war, or the day before the land war would begin. And... Our commander sat us all down and he said, listen, we're going to lose 80% of our unit tomorrow because there's no way we're going to be able to hold on to this enemy without horrific casualties. And he said, many here today will not be alive tomorrow. Many of you, he said, will not be alive tomorrow. And he said, so let's go and let's do our best. And he turned to me and he said, chaplain, I want you to talk to our boys. I want you to see every one of our soldiers today. And I said, sir, I will. And that's what I was going to do anyway. But I got in my little Jeep and I traveled to every one of our little units that we had in our, our force. It wasn't a large unit, but it was about 1,300 folks. And it was amazing that as I would go to them and I, I would talk with them, that, that the Lord had been working on their hearts for a long time through all the different services and things that we'd had. And 400 of that 1,300 asked to receive Christ that very day. So revival was breaking out in my unit the day before we were going to go and fight. And then they would say, chaplain, I want to be baptized. And I was like, well, I don't have like a pool I tow behind my vehicle. So uh, I don't. And so my chaplain assistant said, here, use this bottle of water. So I did. And I just whopped him with a bottle of water. I did it three times. Father, son, Holy Spirit. I thought three times is the right thing to do. And so. You know, I did that and, and I baptized these guys and, and, you know, we had just huge crowds, huge crowds everywhere I went as I shared the Lord, as I met these soldiers. And then it was a long day as I, I traveled around our little battle space. And then finally that night I got back into our, my tent. And during that day, our, our mail orderly had placed my mail on my bunk. So there's a couple cards from well-meaning churches like y'all. 
And I just began to cry. Because I, in my mind, as I shook Sergeant Ritchie's hand, I knew that Sergeant Ritchie may well be dead tomorrow. As I saw all these young kids who just come from high school and, you know, weren't even old enough to drink or do anything in life. And, you know, and here they were about to die for their country. And I knew that eight out of ten of them would be dead the next day. And I just cried. I just cried because I, I love these men. And I knew the horrific day that lay in store for us the next day as we would eventually find the Tawakana Republican Guard and fight them. And these were the T-72 tanks, which were the best tanks the Soviet Union at the time had. And that's the tanks that we were up against. And as I cried, I reached over and my left hand hit the letters and the cards. And I opened one up. And inside it was this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrows that fly by day. Nor the pestilence that stalks the darkness. Nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge. Then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's when it hit me. I didn't know what the day would hold for the next day. But I knew that I and all my soldiers were in God's hands. No matter what came our way. And so impressed me, I asked my commander, can I read this scripture before we leave the LD, the line of departure, and move into battle tomorrow? So the commander gave me the microphone. It was on a secure channel. And I read this scripture to all of our tanks, to all of our Bradley fighting vehicles, to all the artillery units. Every soldier that was near a radio heard this scripture. And we engaged the enemy that morning. Not one of my soldiers was killed that day. Not a single one. Yeah, amen. Amen. We, we call these things sometimes flippantly a God thing, but that's exactly what it was. God has set out a revival in our unit. God had lifted our soldiers up and brought us into battle and through battle, and not one was even injured. The only person injured was an NCO who accidentally drove over a landmine and wasn't injured himself, just ruined his vehicle. God was with us that day. Clearly God was with us. And so I have something to tell you. I feel sort of like Paul. 
Paul, you know, he had vision problems. Paul had a lot of different eccentricities that you read in the word. Paul wasn't liked by a lot of the religious leaders. The soldiers were trying to kill him. I mean, everywhere Paul seemed to go, he was either being imprisoned, his ship was sinking. Something was always happening with Paul. Paul was not the kind of guy you wanted to go on the long trip with. (laughs) Unless you had AAA or something. So Paul was this scarred veteran of the faith when he writes in 2 Corinthians. And he, he writes these words that I want to I share with you today. It says that we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I often would tell my staff that I'm between a rock and a hard place when we'd have difficult times come against us. Paul knew what it was like to be in his own a rock and a hard place. And today, you may be between a rock and a hard place in your own life. Things that tend to persecute you, things that tend to put you down. You may feel like you're being crushed. You may be in despair today. I'm not sure where you are today, but it's my prayer today that this message inspires and encourages you. I can resonate with Paul's scripture. And so I I think I have something to say to you. Um, It all really begins with, in my mind, a call. The call that God has for us. My call was simple. God called me to gospel ministry. But I, I thought, oh, no, 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 God. You don't know. I am Tom the Bomb. I am the city's famous football player. I'm all state linebacker. I'm the guy that explodes on the field of football and enemies tremble when I take the field. I am going to be a professional football player. All five foot nine of me is going to be a professional football player. That's what I'm going to be, God. No, I'm not going to be a preacher. They're nothing but used car salesmen in better suits. I'm not going to be one of those. But that's what God called me to be. I didn't really like the idea, but that's what God compelled me to do. And so eventually I said, okay, Lord, this is what I'll do. And it led to the army chaplaincy. And it it led to... uh, you know, a wonderful service. And I have to tell you that no matter where I've been, no matter how I've been, God has always taken care of me. And God, you'll be able to say at the end of your lives as well as you can today, how God has taken care of you. Later on, we'll talk about it. But God never promised us a rosy life. Paul knew pain. Paul knew what attacks meant like. Paul had understood what, what all of this is like. And so you're not going to have a rosy life. In fact, I would say... That if you're having a tough time because of the faith, you're on the right track. Because Satan is obviously feeling the pinch and he's trying to mess you up. We'll talk about that in a second. So my call came. And that call led me eventually as a chaplain to Fort Stewart, Georgia. And I remember my first uh, night, or actually my last night there as a chaplain. And I was getting ready to come back. And we'd been out a week. And it was, I was tired and ready to go home. And, and a guy comes to my tent, one of our NCOs, and he says, uh, Chaplain, can I talk to you? There's something I, I'd, I'd like to tell you. And I said, sure, no problem. And uh, he takes me out a bit away from everybody. And he takes me over by a tree. And he says, tomorrow we're going to go home. And I'm really burdened. And I said, what about? He said, I've been raping my three-year-old daughter each night. And I know that when I go home, I'm going to do it again. You can't tell anybody, right, chaplain? I said, no, I can't. It's confidential. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And in my heart and mind, I thought, what, Lord? What, what can I do? I don't want this to happen to this little girl tomorrow. I want him to be stopped. 
I want him to get help, but I want him to be punished too. I don't want this to happen, God, yet I've got all these things put on me by man now that I can't tell anybody. And then I heard, you know, welcome to my war, Tom. This is the war I face each and every day against Satan. This is what I'm fighting against. Men like him are destroying little children. Satan is wanting to destroy the Christians. Satan is wanting to end every cause for Christ that is there. That's what he wants to do, just like he's doing with this man through this little girl. He's killing us. What do I do, God? What do I do? Satan is indeed formidable. I continued to talk to that gentleman and eventually convinced him to give himself up. And so he confessed later that night to my battalion commander and was arrested and fortunately separated from that girl. He eventually was sent to prison and I I, I lost track of him. I hope he got the help he needed. But I know that little girl was kept safe. But that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy us. And indeed, he is a formidable foe. And we can't take him for granted. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 talks about the armor of God. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all the God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against all evils and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Against evil spirits in heavenly places. See, this is a real war. It's a personal war. It's a spiritual war. It's a physical war. You know, I have seen, as I've traveled around this country, one way that parents discipline their children in Afghanistan, is, and, and this is Islam, is they take um, scalding water and will pour it onto their children as a form of discipline. That picture that you saw behind me uh, when Jim introduced me was of a small village out basically in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan. But those children that you couldn't see had scalds on their hands, had eyes that were closed because of the burning. Those very children, when they lined up to receive little book bags, would be punched by the adults when they would get out of line. And I have to tell you, that the evils of Satan are everywhere in this world, rampant in every nation. No one is better than the other. No society is without it. But Satan is trying to destroy the beautiful creation of God. And he's very formidable. So if you try to defeat Satan in your own power, you're going to lose. We had, uh, in one particular firefight, we just had this new thing called GPS. You know it now, right? But obviously, you know, usually the military has these gadgets first. So we had an, 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 the, one of the ancient versions at the beginning of this called a Lawrence. And one of our tank commanders refused to receive instructions from others. And he input his own coordinates into his Lawrence. And off to battle we went. And his little company of tanks veered to the right, went into the British lines and destroyed four of their tanks. Four British soldier or, or tank units, about 12 men, died that day because that gentleman re- refused to get his instructions from higher. He chose to do it himself and people died that day. And so we have to understand the importance, brothers and sisters, that it can't be what I think and I give to you that you go by. It can't be what another person or what you think. It's got to be of the Lord. The only way to defeat Satan is through God himself. There is no other way. 
And so I encourage you to put your eyes and your hearts and your, and your minds toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are in a battle. And it is a life and death matter. And people are dying. And the only way to win is when we realize it can't come through ourselves but through God. I uh, was in my, uh, one of my tours in Afghanistan. We had a real famous uh, route clearance team. They were kind of like cowboys. And they had become known by us and to the enemy as just these super route clearance guys. And what I mean by that is they would go and find these IEDs. Anybody know what an IED is? Improvised explosive device. Yeah, you've been watching the news. That's what it is. And they were like famous for it and just thwarting the enemy all over Afghanistan and increasing our mobility within the country greatly. And so they were hated by the enemy. And I have, they had uh, gotten such a reputation where they were going in and, and kind of mistreating the dining facility people. And they weren't wearing their uniforms. They were wearing hodgepodge. They were just like the, the, the rat pack of World War II, you know, where, where they just you know, did their own thing. And so I said, hey, let's, let's go see these guys and see what's up. And so I flew out to see them and I caught them just as they were in an argument in the dining facility with the dining facility people because they were giving them, they weren't giving them enough chicken. Chicken nuggets. They wanted more chicken nuggets. So this guy who's like 10 feet tall was, I want more chicken nuggets. And he was slamming on the thing. And, and into the building I go, you know, chaplain, we want more chicken nuggets. And no, you cannot have more chicken nuggets, the person would say. And, and I walked in, I go, let them have more chicken nuggets. It's okay. They can have mine. I won't eat them today. And so they got their food and we sat down and we talked about our faith. We talked about our families. We talked about the missions that they are at hand. And we had just a great time. And at the end of that, we got our pictures with each other. And we walk over to these really cool devices that they have that cleared the roads. And we prayed. And, and on these they got and they drove away. And I went to my airplane and flew back to Bagram. And as I landed, they said, Chaplain, did you get to see such and such clearance team? I said, yeah. He said, they're all dead. They all died. An IED. So you can't find every IED. They're out there waiting. And Satan is waiting with IEDs right now to explode your lives. It could come through the words of, honey, I want a divorce. To a family member who's, who's pregnant or has impregnated someone. I don't know what they are. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the finances are in trouble. I, I don't know. But I know that Satan is out there trying to destroy you. And he's got these IEDs planted at, at places that you are not aware of. And they will explode like that. And his goal is to destroy you like he did those soldiers. Later on, I was at a chapel service and, and we were thinking and praying and, and remembering those soldiers that had died. And I was thinking that this unit would just be disintegrated by this extreme loss of life. But instead, what I saw was the Christians gathering together. I saw the Christians praising God. I did not see hatred toward the enemy. I did not see let's kill them all kind of stuff. What I heard was deep prayer for the movement of the Holy Spirit in their battalion. I heard them thanking God for those soldiers. I saw them cry as they thank God for those soldiers' lives. And I saw a, a desire on each of those soldiers' faces to continue to live for God. In other words, that IED did not explode in them. It did not destroy them. It made them stronger. Because it was not in their strength. It was not in their power. But when we get to those times when the IEDs explode, we either try to rely on ourselves and lose, or we rely on God and we win. And so that's my prayer for each of you. 
is when the ideas of life explode in your lives that you rely upon God's power because that's the, really the only way that we can win. I want to talk about God's power for a moment because it's really God's power that we rely on. You know, when we have these IEDs, these, perhaps it's a memory, perhaps it's an unconfessed sin or a sin that's in your life. You've asked God to forgive you and he has, but you haven't forgiven yourself. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God's forgiven you, and not only has he forgiven you, he's washed it away. He doesn't see it anymore. You're forgiven. But it's in God's power that we must rest. And no matter what's brought up against us, Satan, Satan's issues, Satan's quiver, his arrows, he shoots at us. I want you to know that God can quell each of those fears, each of those problems. I'm, I thought of all kinds of examples, you know, uh, but basically Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose again, the war was over. The battles we fight, but the war is over. So there can be a calming experience in the sense of we know that the war is won. And now we should know that the battles we fight are also won because we fight not in our strength, but in the spirit of God, in the strength of God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, We know we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. I'll never forget a young man who accepted Christ, and his name was Clarence. And I was preaching in Mississippi at the time, and he had just been released from parchment, Home of my brother to prison. You know, I'm kidding. Jim wasn't in prison. But Clarence accepted Jesus. And he was, he wanted to do anything he could for God. And so he said, said, preacher, what can I do for the Lord? I said, well, how about take up the offering, Clarence? Clarence said, okay. And the offering plates passed. The ushers come forward. And Clarence says, preacher, I don't think we've collected enough of the offering. I think we should do it one more time. I said, okay, Clarence. I'm like 20 years old. Okay, Clarence, knock yourself out. We're going to do it one more time. Clarence wants to do it one more time. Little did I know he had a, a pistol in his pocket. And what he was doing was passing the offering plate, and he had the pistol like that. And I'm sitting there watching my folks, and they're like, had this surprise look, and then all of a sudden cash is just flowing as, as Clarence passes that thing. And so, you know, we, we are jugheads. We're these jars of pottery. We're imperfect people. We've got our issues. We've got our problems. We've got our scars. These are ugly jars of clay. But that's how God chooses to show his power. You know, if you had like a, a great dish, say like chicken cacciatore, and you put it in a beautiful dish, put it on the table, and everybody sits down, and all they see is that dish, and they pay no attention to that wonderful chicken cacciatore you've made, you're not going to be too happy. Well, God, in his awesomeness, understands that in order for, and it's the beauty of it all, is God puts his power, God puts his glory, God puts himself in us. And when they see, they go, wow, God is in Tom Kilgore. Wow, look how great God is because they know me. They know what a crackpot I am. So God puts his power in us, these jars of clay. 
to give honor and glory to him and not to ourselves. I, uh, I'm reminded uh, of a, a firefight that incurred many of you men that stood, may have served in Vietnam. And there's a, a famous chaplain named Charlie Waters who received the Medal of Honor. And Charlie Waters had tried to get into uh, the Army chaplaincy, but Charlie had these big, huge, thick glasses, Coke bottle glasses. He failed all the physical exams. He was just too weak and sickly to get into the Army. He was not robust to be a soldier. And so they failed him because he couldn't see. They failed him because he was too short. And his bishop, his, the minister that oversaw him, would not let him come on active duty because Charlie had a, a speech impediment. He had a lift. All at the same time. And so his bishop said, we're not going to let you in the army, Charlie. Nobody's going to pay attention to you. You're short. You can't see. And you can't talk. No way. But Charlie kept persisting. Kept persisting. And they let him in. I, I honestly think they just got low of chaplains and they brought Charlie in. But thankfully, Charlie wanted to serve his country. And so Charlie goes into airborne training, becomes an airborne chaplain, is assigned to an airborne unit there in Vietnam. And they get into one of these firefights that, where the enemy was, there was just surrounding on the enemy. And the enemy basically was closing in on his firebase from all sides. And Charlie was going out under fire and pulling back the wounded and getting them to care, helping them. And time and time again, his... Uh, his Medal of Honor report says that he went out over 24 times to bring people back to safety under fire. And so Chaplain Waters kept going and kept going and kept going. But the enemy kept pressing and kept pressing and kept pressing. Till finally they were what's called danger close. They were inside the perimeter. They were controlling the firebase itself. And so the commander of the firebase said danger close fire. Which means bring uh, munitions down on our site. Down on us. And so they all got into various bunkers to hide, but not Charlie. Charlie was pulling one more wounded soldier back. And a 500-pound bomb was dropped and killed Charlie instantly. What a jar of clay. What a person who stuttered, who was short, who couldn't see. And that's the jar that God chose to glorify himself through. You see, you don't have to be Joe Eloquent. You don't have to be some richy rich kind of guy. You don't have to have a slew full of, of uh, degrees or some great important job. You've just got to be willing like Charlie. And God takes these jars, and these are tough, ugly jars. I've got a, a, a set, a, a silver tea set that I bought for my wife, made in Rockford, Illinois, in, May, in the 1850s or something. And it's beautiful, and we've never used it. It just sits there. The only thing we do is polish it, because it's special. <laughs> it just sits there. But God doesn't want jars of clay that are all beautiful and pretty and just sit on the, on the shelf. He wants those old rugged, those rough and tough jars that you can just slam it down the aisle, blum, 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 and it's still good to go on the other end. That's the kind of jars of clay he's looking for. Jars that can take a licking and keep on ticking. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people like that. That's what he wants to see in us. So he wants us to get off the shelf. He wants to, us to get involved in life. And he wants us to, to deal with the rough and tumble lives. You know, Paul prom, you know, told us, you know, through the scripture, that these hardships, this persecution, you can read through those lines. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, this life in Christ. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. I can think of many times in my life where I've been close to death. I can think in many times when uh, I didn't think I was going to make it out of there. 
I was uh, in Panama as we were planning the invasion of Panama and driving around the country. It was a scary proposition. I was uh, in a special forces unit. I'm sorry, I was in another unit at the time. And uh, I didn't know if I'd see my wife again. And this is even before it all started. But Manuel Noriega did not like us. I didn't know if I was going to make it during that time and many other times in my life when I've just not known. But each time I've broken my back on parachute jumps. I've had it where they were contemplating uh, amputating my, my right leg. I've had all kinds of health issues. I've had all kinds of problems. But each and every time when I've been hard pressed, when I've been between my rock and a hard place, God has been there. But, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you that if he'd removed my right leg, still praise and glorify God. Okay, it's not that it's only good when good things happen to us. Sometimes when bad things happen to us, that should be a sign, as I said earlier, that you're doing the right things because Satan is attacking you. So embrace your hardships, embrace your difficult times, lean upon the Lord. And in those times, no matter what they might be, you're going to grow in Christ because you're not alone. And because he'll season you. He'll grow you. He'll mature you through each of these times. Because Paul is here to tell you that in those rough and tough, tumble times, that you're going to be okay. You see, what, what we're at right now, right here, is like a big kitchen. Okay? And all kinds of cooking is going on. You guys are coming to get new recipes. You're coming to get new dishes. You're coming to get your pots filled. And out you go back out into the great state of Indiana to just let them know about God. Just let them know about Jesus Christ. And to tell, hey, hey, I got something in this jar you need to eat. This is good stuff. As you share the bread of God with everybody around you that was baked right here in this kitchen. That's what God has in store for each of us. That's how he shows his power and he dispenses it through us. There's a guy um, in uh, Heidelberg, Germany that uh, is really special to me. He's um, called Mr. Ed. And Mr. Ed is just like always, he's our choir director in Heidelberg, Germany. And he's just always just scatterbrained. And he, he doesn't have, I don't think he's ever had a complete sentence in his life. And so he's just, and he's a diabetic. And so when his blood sugar gets low, he's even more crazy. But I tell you that here's this Mr. Ed who has retired so he could just serve the Lord. And, and he doesn't make a great wage. He's a poor man. But his whole heart is to serve the Lord. And he's not a handsome guy. He's not any of these things. He just, he's just this tough, rough and tough jar of clay for Jesus Christ. And Mr. Ed is just one of the most awesome Christian workers I've ever met. And I thank God for Mr. Ed. See, God's looking for people like that. He's looking for these pots. And when God is in us, when God is empowering us, we're unbreakable. Like the Tonka truck that knocked my brother out, I'm here to tell you that these jars of clay, yes, they're fragile. But when they're filled with Jesus Christ, they're formidable. And God has chosen to use these jars of clay, you and me, to share the gospel of love to the world and here in this church. So we're not meant to be displayed on pedestals for people to admire. But we're common, everyday objects meant to be used. We can be appreciated, perhaps not admired, but it's the treasure within us that deserves the attention. Our fragility only serves to make the beauty of the gospel even more conspicuous.
So we're hard-pressed on every side. Uh, you know, Paul's resume includes all kinds of things. You know, he, he told us we weren't you know, going to be immune from problems or hardships. And if anything, when we face these things, it makes the power of God even more heightened in our lives. But the most obvious evidence of the presence of God in our lives isn't that we escape hardship, but that we endure hardship. So if you're feeling hard-pressed, if you're feeling put down, if you're feeling persecuted, if you feel like you're being abandoned, if you feel like Satan's about to destroy you, I want you to take heart. First of all, I want you to praise God because you're right on track. Woohoo! I'm about to be destroyed. Praise God. I know I'm there now. Praise the Lord. Because you can look and you can see the power of God. That's how close you are. You're on the right track. Be excited about it. So, which four phrases really describe you today? Stressed out, mixed up, beaten up, or knocked down? Are you stressed out, mixed up, beaten up, or knocked down? The world can be a rough place for a clay pot, and you too may be caught between your own a rock and a hard place. And maybe you're feeling banged up, maybe even cracked or chipped. But don't be alarmed. You're not alone. You're not alone. We're all in the same boat. You may not talk about it, but we're all stressed. We're all feeling pressure. We're all feeling cracked. But take heart because God is with you. I want to leave you with this last thought. This is a thought that was shared to me by one of my soldiers. I hung on to it because I thought it was pretty cool. And I encourage you to hold on to it and just kind of think about it. It's, it's really called your 24 inches of battleground. What happened was he had, he told me the story that he was out in the field, a field exercise, and they were building uh, fighting positions. And so the platoon sergeant was going around and he, he noticed what he did. The platoon sergeant walked up to one of the foxholes. And he took his bayonet from behind him and he drew two lines. And he said these words. He said, your sole task, soldier, is to defend your 24 inches of battleground. Don't worry about everything and everyone else. That's my job. Don't worry about the whole battle. That's the brass's job. You just worry about your 24 inches. That's your battlefield. Sometimes when we get overwhelmed... By the titanic clash between righteousness and evil, we forget about our personal battlefield. See, wars are fought and won in small skirmishes. So I'm going to ask you today, I hope you're holding your 24, your 24 inches of battle space. I hope you're holding on. I hope you're defending that for the faith. Because that's what God's depending on you. He's not depending on you for all of it. Just those 24 inches. Are you holding on? Are you making your stand? Let me leave you with a scripture today from Romans chapter 16, verses 20. Verse 20. It says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Let's pray. Father, we know that